0: Welcome to this week's Crowd Church service. We are a digital church on a quest to discover how Jesus helps us live a more meaningful life. We are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith and a place where you can contribute and grow. Our service will last about an hour and in a few seconds we will start with a time of worship after which you will meet our hosts for our service who will introduce today's talk. After the talk, we head into Conversation Street, where we look at your stories and questions that you've posted in the comments throughout the live stream. I want to invite you to connect with us here at CrowdChurch, and there are a few ways that you can do just that. Firstly, you can engage with crowd from any device during our live stream. And if you're up for it, why not invite a few friends over and experience the service together. You see, church is all about connecting with God and connecting with others. And one of the easiest ways for you to do that is to also join one of our midweek groups where we meet online together to catch up and discover more about the amazingness of Christ. You can also subscribe to our podcast called What's the Story? Where we deep dive into stories of faith and courage from everyday people. More information about all of these things that I've mentioned can be found on our website at www.crowd.church or you can reach us uh, on social media at crowdchurch. If you're new to Crowd or new to the Christian faith and would like to know what your next steps to take are, well, why not head over to our website crowd.church slash next for more details. And now, the moment you've been waiting for is here. Our online church service starts right now.
1: But I said to come round to the back. Yeah, but what back of what? But what but I said by the back? van, by the train but I didn't oh. see back. Oh, we're live! Oh, hello everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Crowd Church. Um, so today it's me, Dan Orange, and we'll start with normally behind the non-live camera, but you're very excited to be on the, the live, live camera junior. today. Yes. Um, we're having to talk about discussions later, so we put that a little bit. <laughs> At the <laughs> beginning to <laughs> set things Little up. Little teaser. Yes. Um, how you doing, Will?
2: Yeah, all right, all right. Um, Christmas is bearing down on us. Yes. But, um, yeah, I like Advent. I enjoy yeah. Advent. Advent baking.
1: <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like, yeah. I like. Advent. Advent baking. I'm more of a turkey, <laughs> a turkey man <laughs> I mean, than a baking You're man. saving yourself for the big day. <laughs> yes.
2: No, it's uh, it, it's the baking to keep us going. I oh, think. I see. So uh, yeah. yeah, I most enjoy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Brilliant. Um, it's great to see everyone joining in. So Matt's having a listen. Uh, Matt's been on the train today. A little busy day out. And, um, and Matt Edmondson, I don't think he's been on the train, but he has been soaring. I called him earlier. I was looking for a file. And all I heard in the background was a circular saw just, <laughs> just cooling down. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> so, um, I think let's get straight into this talk okay okay so and who we got we got Matt Edmondson not Anna Kessel uh, are you sure are I'm you sure? sure so okay um recently I've had a bit of a mare with my <laughs> my files and I played the wrong talk this is the right talk the right talk it's wrong not person. my fault but the wrong name is on the talk got it, so it's got Matt it. no talking. confusion
2: this is Matt Edmondson it's not Anna Kettle
1: indeed it's pretty obvious from the get-go here we go if you got any questions please. File them through Facebook, YouTube, and we'll aim to answer them afterwards.
0: Well, hello, Crowd Church. Now, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Matt, as it will undoubtedly say on the bottom of the screen. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Crowd, and today I get to do this talk, which is, well, it's great. And let me tell you, uh, I found this one challenging to say the least so let me start by showing you a picture and here's a simple sketch of a young woman she's wearing an old-fashioned bonnet uh, as you can see Uh, you can see she's looking away from the screen she's kind of got this pearl necklace thing going on Uh, and if we flesh out this drawing it could look a little like this And so here we see her Her hair is more defined. Uh, The bonnet has been replaced by a slightly more ostentatious hat that's got a feather on it. And it looks like she's wearing a fur coat, but still has a sort of the pearls around her neck. But all is not as it seems. Oh no, how you have interpreted this image that I've just shown you here is based entirely on the first image that you saw, this one here. What if I told you that this is actually an image of an old woman, not a young one? And this is not an existential observation about the anti-aging rhetoric that mars our society, but it's actually a genuine statement. What if this picture was of an older woman? To see what I mean, let's look at this image. Now, let's look at these side by side, because you can see here, this is a sketch, a very rough sketch of an older lady with rather, rather a large nose, looking sort of down, looking sort of rather forlorn. And if I put that next to that image that you see, you can see in that image, the older woman, not just the younger one. Now, this is an example from Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the, the bottom line here is how you interpret the image, how you interpret the main image is based entirely on the image that you saw first. If I show you the picture of the older woman first, you see the older woman in the main image. If I show you the young picture first, like I did, you see the younger woman in the the image. And to quote the Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. It's an interesting exercise that highlights a key point. How we interpret things that we see and experience depends greatly on our worldview. Now think of a worldview as a pair of glasses just like these, uh, through which you see everything around you. It's more than just a belief. It's the lens that colours your understanding of the world. You see, our worldview shapes our thoughts. It guides our decisions, frames our understanding of right and wrong, truth and falsehood, significance and triviality. And each person has a unique way of seeing the world, a different lens through which life is interpreted, all shaped by our beliefs and our experiences. Our worldview, if you like, is as unique to us as our fingerprint. And every judgment we make, every relationship we hold, every goal we pursue is influenced by this underlying perspective. So where does this worldview come from? Uh, Is it shaped by deliberate thought and decision, or has it been handed down by those around us? Uh, It's kind of, if I'm honest, it's going to be a mixture of both. And how does your personal worldview align with the teachings of the Bible? This isn't just about judging what's right or wrong. It's about seeking alignment and clarity and truth of our understanding of life. And we call this a biblical worldview. Now, one example of a conflict between a biblical worldview and a common contemporary worldview is, say, the differing perspectives on morality and the apparent purpose of life. You see, the biblical worldview, as understood by many Christians, holds that morality is absolute and defined by God's word, you know, the scriptures, the Bible, and this often emphasizes community and humility and service to others. On the other hand, many contemporary worldviews influenced by things like secularism, postmodernism and Marxism can often hold very different views. For example, the secular worldview often will inform us that morality is relative and subjective and that the purpose of life is individual happiness, often associated with material success conflicts with scripture. Postmodernism, with its sort of skepticism towards grand narratives and absolute truths, can conflict with the biblical worldview of absolute moral truth. Now Marxism, with its materialistic and class-based analysis of society, can conflict with the biblical emphasis on spiritual matters and individual moral responsibility. Nah, these are you know, sweeping generalizations I appreciate, but these differing worldviews can lead to conflicts in various areas of life, whether it's ethics, politics, personal lifestyle choices, uh, such as, say, sexual morality or abortion, and the pursuit of material wealth. They can be viewed very differently depending on your worldview. And we live in a world where the external pressures of societal norms and expectations are constantly, constantly at play. And these forces can be so powerful that exploring a faith perspective, a biblical worldview, might feel like defying the very fabric of the secular viewpoints we're surrounded by. So standing for a biblical worldview isn't just met with Why it's just not, it really is It met with adjuration and praise, but often ridicule and anger. And this is not a new thing. It's kind of been going on since ancient times, as we will see in this week's section from the book of Acts. So let's read, shall we? As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, "'May I say something to you?' And he said, "'Do you know Greek? "'Are you not the Egyptian then "'who stirred up the revolt "'and led the 4,000 men "'of the assassins out into the wilderness?' Uh, That wasn't Paul, but it sounds like a very fascinating story. I mean, there's so much we can learn from just this opening verse. So to bring you up to speed from last week, Paul was being beaten to death by a crowd of people that weren't that chuffed with him and his biblical worldview. The Tribune had come and intervened with some soldiers uh, and was offered a variety of claims by the crowd as to Paul's identity. Now, the crowd is very anti-Paul's worldview, which is, I would call, a Christ-centered worldview, a biblical worldview, to the point, like I say, where they want to kill him. So Paul, knowing that the Tribune will have the wrong idea about him and appreciates uh, appreciating the worldview of the Tribune, starts by asking a question. And that question changes everything. You see, Asking questions is such a powerful tool in a world pretty much hell-bent on making statements louder and louder and louder as a way to prove their worldview is right. Be curious. Ask questions. I think most of the time, this is a great starting point. This is what we learn from Paul. You see, for example, people will often say to me, uh, often tell me, often make the statement that science has disproved Christianity or that Christianity is just a fairy tale. It's a common worldview. And you see, I could, in response, I could make statements like, no, it hasn't, which will quickly fall into the pantomime of, oh, yes, it has. Oh, no, it hasn't. Maybe a better way is simply to ask questions. Questions like, well in what way has science disproved Christianity or well if that's true how do you account for top scientists who have a strong Christian faith. But it's not just a question that Paul asks in this passage, it's how Paul asks the question. You see he has he asks, it's not easy to say. He asks the question in high quality Greek, which was the language that the Tribune spoke, and also proof that Paul was educated. Both things conflicted with the Tribune's thinking. See, although the Tribune had asked the crowd what Paul had done, he apparently had not asked Paul himself. The crowd was telling him that Paul was associated with the Sikari, which was a Jewish terrorist group. Cool name, though. Uh, In other words, the Tribune had been shown a picture of a young man, going back to our original example, not even a young woman. The facts and information he had caused him to interpret what was happening in entirely the wrong way. Paul was definitely not a terrorist. Far from it, in fact. And this is such an important point for us in the modern world, bringing it forward. Because so often our views about people, groups, leaders, race, are formed by the people around us. They aren't formed because we have spent the time to create our own opinions. And it's interesting when you ask folks who believe science has disproven the Christian faith, where that belief came from. What informed it? Is it something that has been thought through by them? Or is it a belief somehow that has been just picked up from others, from school maybe, from the TV? You see, in a world that is plagued by biased algorithms in our social media feeds and news sources with agendas and leaders playing for power or corporations playing for profit, where you get your information from becomes more and more important because we are affected by it. There is bias in social media. There is bias in search engine results. We know this to be true and it does affect us. And this is why it's so powerful. But most of the time we kind of think, you know what, we're okay, aren't we? Uh, We aren't actually affected by others. Others, they may be affected by it, but not us. We're too smart for that. And we definitely shape our own opinions. But let me tell you, marketers have known a different story for many years. And for me, this is why it's so important to develop a biblical worldview, to keep coming back to the Bible, to be what we call Christ-centred. It has to be our source of truth. Now, I'm not telling you to ignore the news. I'm not telling you not to go on social media, nor am I telling you that what the crowd is saying is wrong. But You have to bring it all back to the Bible and interpret what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing through that lens. Now, of course, sounds simple and it can actually lead to its own set of problems. Like many Christians, for example, I have often looked for things in the Bible to back up my thinking that's problematic because I'm shaping scripture to fit my worldview rather than allowing scripture to shape my worldview. God, please spare us from ourselves. And I appreciate that this is just the opening verse of what we're looking at. There's a few more to go. Uh, But there is something else in this verse that we actually need to see before moving on. And that is this. The Tribune is actually insulting Paul here, a subtlety we miss in the text in the modern world. By associating him with Egypt, uh, the tribune has insulted him. You see, Egypt was once this sort of great empire, but now it was amongst the most oppressed sort of provinces in Rome's empire. So Greeks, Romans and Jews typically regarded Egyptians as uneducated and backward. And this can so often be the case, can't it? We insult or demean those that have a different worldview to us. We think of ourselves as better, maybe, than the person in front of us, especially if we're passionate about that part of our worldview, such as our thinking on, say, gender or politics or even the Israel-Hamas war. We look down on those we disagree with. We are the educated. They are the uneducated. And actually, I think insulting those we disagree with is a lazy response. We put people down to make ourselves feel better about the view that we hold. And if I'm honest, we can get a little bit ugly with it. We just insult. And we can do that because we're right, surely, aren't we? We can insult them. We are the educated see how Paul responds. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in uh, Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, pit me, uh, permit me to speak to the people. So Paul deals with this insult with a simple correction. I'm from Tarsus. Uh, and I'm super proud uh, myself of being part of the city of Liverpool on my wall here. If you're watching on video, you see the Liverpool skyline that I made. I think it's a great place to be, and I'm thankful that God brought me here. Tarsus is an ancient version of Liverpool, if you like. It was a great city, and one that had a lot of civic pride. And it told the Tribune, when Paul says, I'm from Tarsus, it tells the Tribune that, again, he has spoken without really understanding the bigger picture. Now, if it was me talking to the Tribune... I would most likely get drawn into the fact he just insulted me. I would probably feel anger rising up inside of me. And there would be a great need welling within my soul to put him straight. But Paul, it seems, doesn't do that. He keeps the issue, the issue. He keeps on mission and he turns to address the crowd. So when the tribune had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So much in these verses. Paul is willing to speak to the crowd that has just assaulted him. That in itself is pretty priceless. It shows his love for his people. It shows a willingness to forgive and it shows an openness to debate and conversation. Me? Don't know if I'd have been as gracious. I probably would have wanted them locked up for assaulting me. But thankfully Paul is not like me because this would have been a very different story. (laughs) So he opens up with the phrase brothers and fathers. Now, this is an interesting phrase. It's both respectful and conciliatory. It's the exact opposite of the Tribune's insult. Brothers, you see, emphasises an ethnic solidarity. Uh, solidarity? Solidarity. And <laughs> fathers uh, is a respectful title for the elders and people of rank. This is a masterclass on how to deal with not just those who have a different worldview, those who are even hostile in their worldview. You see, Paul speaks to the crowd in Hebrew, a language that they understand, which is super powerful, let me tell you. I know, for example, that many folks watching uh, the crowd church streams, or maybe you're watching on Ketchup, maybe you're listening to the podcast. I know that many of you consuming the content are unchurched. So there's no point in me sitting here uh, and talking about something like, I don't know, the the sanctification that comes through the atonement. It's language that won't make sense to many. It's even though it's sort of in English, it's not accessible. So what Paul is doing is he's making what he is saying accessible, a lesson we have tried to learn here at Crowd. And because it got that crowd quiet, Because it was accessible, they got even more quiet, scripture tells us. They sort of leaned in a little bit further. It was ready to listen. But as we are gonna see, it's not that easy to listen well to those we disagree with. We engage in uh, what my mum uh, calls selective hearing. Apparently I suffer from this, according to my mum. Uh, Hearing only what I want to hear. Listening for things that will support my worldview or support my arguments. So Paul takes this opportunity to simply tell the crowd his story. See, when it comes to faith and standing for a biblical worldview, sometimes the best thing to do is just tell your story. So Paul did just that after asking questions, after being conciliatory and respectful, and using accessible language, after not getting caught up in the insults or even how badly he was treated, he now has the once hostile crowd at least willing willing to listen to something. And so Paul takes the opportunity to tell his story. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up uh, in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness." From then I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Doesn't sound like he was a pretty nice guy. I mean if you're a Christian when Paul was like this you didn't want to be around really. Uh, He's talking to the crowd about how he used to be like them, how he used to think like they thought, how he was zealous Uh, for the things of God, like the crowd was. He had the same worldview that they are having at the moment. But then something happened to Paul to change that worldview. You can sort of feel it coming up in the story, can't you? And he spends the next 17 verses telling them how Jesus met with him and radically changed how he thought about life. He talks about how Jesus called him to live a different life, to walk a different path. And to think differently about his place in the world and his calling, because, well, that's just what Jesus does. And that's my story, too. When I encountered Christ, my worldview radically changed, the way I saw life changed. And as I've studied the Bible over the years, my thinking has continued to be renewed. That's what the Bible talks about. It talks about how your your thinking needs to be renewed, and it has been. Now that doesn't mean that I'm there. It doesn't mean that I'm right. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect, and it doesn't mean that I need to stop being curious. Uh, But I have to be about. I have to be curious about the Bible first. That's the basic principle. I know that I'm on a journey and still learning, but it's a decision that I have to make on a daily basis to understand what the Bible says about something and to choose to interpret life through that biblical Christ-centered worldview versus my own worldview. And as I have done this, I've noticed that I've become more curious about the people that I meet. Like Paul, I don't shy away from meeting people that think differently to me. I want to engage with them. I love the conversation. And like Paul, I've had opportunity to share my own story, the story of a God who changed my life for the better and in so many ways. Now, the sad part to this story is that the majority of the crowd only hear the parts they need to confirm their own bias, confirmation bias, or as my mum calls it, selective hearing. And so they call for Paul's death. They didn't listen well. It's a big lesson. And as a result, they miss the awesome life-giving truth of Jesus. They didn't get to see a bigger God. Now, I want to have a worldview that has a bigger God at the center of it. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. And the Tribune takes Paul back to the barracks to torture him, which sounds a bit odd, but it was a common practice at the time to try and get to the bottom of things, because if I torture you, you're bound to tell the truth. Uh, But it's at this point Paul tells the Tribune that he is in fact a Roman citizen. And that torture of Roman citizens, well... It's just not allowed. It's not cricket. It's not permitted. It's a trim card that Paul held until it was needed, and it's needed now. And so next week, we're going to carry on the story from this point. But bringing it back, there is so much to learn from this story about dealing with those that think differently to you, those that have a different worldview and see it differently. I read this story, and I can be like the Tribune and go along with what others are saying Not really thinking about it, but just kind of go along. Or I can be like the crowd and only hear what I want to hear, be selective in my hearing, but miss the bigger picture, miss the bigger God. Or I can be like Paul and allow Jesus to change my worldview, to allow me to see and experience life through his lens, because that's remarkable. When you have a biblical worldview, everything changes. You see, you're not surprised by what's going on in the world. We pray for a better world, but our hope is not in political leaders. It's in Jesus. A biblical worldview is based on a certain and sure hope, an eternal hope. And that hope, that understanding Well, it reframes how I see and experience the world every day. I get to see a bigger God. And my prayer for me and for you is that we get to see a bigger God every day. So let me end with this question. How can you develop a biblical worldview, one that is very Christ-centered? Or do you even want to develop a biblical worldview? Write your answers in the comments, ready for the guys in Conversation Street. But that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Well, well,
1: yeah, there's a lot in there. There is. So, <laughs> go on then, Will. What was the first thing that well, stood out to you? Uh, it's
2: really striking, isn't it? Just how current this whole story is and that whole. Dynamic of mob rule and mob voice, and everyone just, I mean, not even knowing who Paul was and just kind of joining that bandwagon. And Mm. it's like, well, yeah, that's
1: just. I'm going to bring this just a little bit even closer to your mouth.
2: I mean, that's just magnified all the more, isn't it, by the kind of global network of communication? But also, just how unfazed Paul was by that and how used to that he was through his life. And we've been seeing it through the story of Acts. He'd he'd been there, He'd, he'd He knew how to communicate. He didn't jump in as our slightly lame example at the beginning of like, you know, as soon as you get into an argument, you just fight your corner and you stop listening. And Paul just doesn't do that. He kind of he stops. He thinks he steps back. So, yeah, just just how current that whole kind of dynamic is and and how Paul handled it. And I think that's the that's the wisdom of God um, through many years of, of living for him. Yeah. So yeah, that 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 really stood out as yeah. well as a uh, yeah, a lot I, of yeah, challenge.
1: I like that, and i I suspect that it wasn't something that you know it might have been God's wisdom instantly then a word of knowledge, but I suspect it was He knew about this guy, yes. this yeah. um, terrorist. He knew potentially that was going through the crowd, going through the tri- tribune, um, and he'd he'd re research not the right really the right word, but he'd thought that's what they're that's what thinking about me, okay, and God gave him that that wisdom and that ability to to bring that message to say, no, I'm coming from this point. Yeah. Sometimes and, and we it's can the... jump in without, like like Matt says, further on, without any research, we can take the the moral high ground and absolutely, yeah,
2: yeah. But it's the message as well he's absolutely focused on the message he he doesn't care about the fact that he's been insulted yeah he doesn't care about actually the fact that he's been beaten up by this crowd he cares about the message and he cares about communicating it to to this mob um and you know that shows a humility and a focus on what god's called him to do which is yeah just just remarkable
1: yeah real challenge yeah it is um yeah there's lots of points in there i we were talking about um, sort of off camera before when you when you came in um, that sometimes we can, especially the media and particularly with friends, um, someone can say one thing and we react to that one thing and we ignore the past. We ignore, ignore all the history that we've got with that person or everything we know about them. And the media does it as well, doesn't yeah, it? You yeah. know, one, so it? One statement and we ignore the rest. And it, it, the reason I'm saying that, it takes me a bit to where Matt said about we can we can try and find one verse in the Bible that, that just meets what we're trying to get across yeah, without yeah. going, well, no, the Bible, you have to take as a whole, it should all add up.
2: Yeah. It and again, we're more interested in our personal... Mm journey or view yeah. or opinion yeah. than actually yeah taking the of the yeah. bible I, I there's a couple of um uh shows i've been watching recently uh streamed and and, and in it are these kind of and you know the, the story's hinged on this but it's people who are Responding emotionally to each other, getting there under the end of the stick, and it kind of you know the drama kind of creates, and and I just look at it and go, ah, oh, and, and it's kind of is, is this just part of our generation? This kind of snowflake is like oh, I'm offended and easy offence, mm-hmm. and then I look at my street WhatsApp to be honest, and and I think no no, <laughs> this is just a human condition. Mm-hmm. This is nothing generational. Mm-hmm. How quick people are to take offence, how quick people can be, and we can all be to 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 stand on opinion and just actually fight and. And I just think, you know, just just with that moment of stepping back, just like Paul did uh, in this story, just taking a breath and just thinking about a slightly wider picture, um, you know, it it makes all the difference. There's a a fantastic verse in uh, Proverbs 15, which says, "A soft answer turns away much yes. anger." Yeah. And uh, and and that's something I. I I remember being modelled by my grandfather and my dad actually on the, on a couple of times they were stopped by the police for a start, and instead of like the window goes down and like ah uh, you know fighting their corner, just saying I'm really sorry I was going a bit fast, and it just completely takes the wind out the sails of whoever's about to you know lean through the window and 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 uh, tear yeah. a strip off them, and and you know growing up I really learned that lesson of like do you know it's worth just stopping. Taking a breath, thinking a bit wider, thinking about the person in front of you, where they're coming from, where their opinion's coming from, and uh, yeah, it's not always easy to do in the heat of the moment. But uh, but here we've got a really great example of of yeah the story going in a completely different way yeah. as a result of that.
1: Yeah, um, Ashton has put on the uh, on the, the question on the um, comments. Am I not correcting that Paul himself did a lot of bad things, and he did, and he admitted yeah, to it yeah, then, absolutely. didn't he? He said, "I I was." Doing the same as you, I was uh, a zealot for what I thought was the um the right way and people died under my under my word. Yeah. But God turned me. God yeah turned me around. And, and,
2: and perhaps that's that's part of where it Paul's humility comes from. He knows he's got absolutely yeah. no moral high ground to stand on. It is because of what Jesus has done in his heart and changed that he's able to present this the story to, to the people. Mm. Um, he knew he deserved punishment for just yeah. follow up there. He knew he was absolutely deserving of God's rejection and anger and wrath. And yet on that road to Damascus, he, he'd met, he'd met mm. Jesus and he'd been forgiven. And yeah. and that must have completely changed his whole personality from yeah. being this kind of real firebrand. This is the thing I must fight for to being just a load more humble, I think. Mm.
1: I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that, that Knowing that we've talked about it so many times because it is the it's the sort of the pinpoint of the gospel that Jesus took our punishment so that we can have that forgiveness and it's just huge and it transformed Paul's life. It's transformed my life. Yeah, you know it, it
2: and I think because of that understanding when we see. Yeah, when we see how far we fall short, I think it gives us a lot more patience for each other, mm. As <laughs> we kind yeah. of, and, and again, it it helps us not dive into that kind of very, it, you know, it can escalate so quickly the arguments that yeah. that, that you see uh, all around you every day. Um, but actually, that the humility comes from, you know, I I've got I've got no moral high ground to stand yeah. here. It's all just because of what Jesus yeah. has done. But uh, but what about uh, this this worldview then? Worldview is a kind of a yeah. This is a Quite a complicated yeah. topic that that Matt has kind of
1: just yeah. dropped in. I wanted to um, let me see if I can.
2: Was there a question on that?
1: Yeah. Oh, there we go. Look at that. Got it working. Um, so Dave Conley mm. put on one of the comments: "When the God of the Bible was rejected, ignored, man chooses a new God," and oh, yeah, I really yeah. like that because if we don't have a a God viewpoint of god will view we have another view world view and what are we gonna yeah that choose? is Where exactly right standard yeah.
2: you, you you hear people talking about i mean i've had conversations when i'm talking about faith and people say well I've, I've just got a neutral kind of world view i i don't i don't have a kind of set of opinions and, and and that's actually a complete myth we've all got this kind of um and it's it's very complicated it's a mixture of our culture our upbringing um our color our there's all sorts of things that can f- uh filter through into mm. a worldview and we're not aware of it most of the time it's only when we really get into yeah. debates with people with a completely different view of the world that yeah. you realize oh yeah. yeah that that's what i think but one of the great examples i think of, of what dave's talking about is um uh, reading a, a number of years ago um uh, a book about um about british culture and actually western european culture and and the kind of the argument this guy was using was that the bible was translated into german into english um in western europe part of the reformation like you know two three hundred years ago and and his argument was that actually culture began to be shaped because everyone could read the bible it became this the, the common man could read okay. what it says in yeah. God's word, and, and I've I've seen that um, talking to people from other countries where there, there's not a culture of fairness, there's not an expectation that people will um, be honest with you. For example, and uh, and I'm just really struck and go well, wh- where has that worldview come from us? And and this guy was arguing, well, that that's that's the Bible. Um, that's because when you read the Bible, God treats everyone equally. You know, we've, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Um, but this guy that I was talking to is like, well, there's no problem lying. There's no problem cheating. If you get found out, that brings shame on the family. But actually, those habits uh, is no problem. It, it's about getting ahead. And I think that was one of the first times I really became aware that we all have this kind of underlying set of assumptions that from birth we're probably not. Very aware of, mm. um but I think the Bible absolutely has got. uh Yeah, has, has I'm so thankful, actually, for our system of law, for democracy, yeah. for all this kind of this expectation people have of being treated fairly. That that doesn't just come from nowhere, no. and, and actually, that's not a common experience for many yeah. people in, in in lots of other places. So I, I really do see a kind of a biblical yeah ground, and there. I
1: think yeah, and um. I always think well where do we if we didn't have that where would we have a standard where would we know yeah yeah where we're heading i i wrote down um in court and i think you, you sort of alluded to it then that you put your hand on the bible don't you and say yeah. i'm gonna tell yeah. the truth yeah hold truth, and I think, but the truth where did that where did that come from that we thought at that time you know when this, this started that we would well, that it, was the it, basis of the truth so we're going to but it's we'll my truth that. isn't it Dan yeah. my truth is the thing that matters and my truth is
2: and, and yeah you very quickly get into this kind of mm. crazy place of like well who calls the shots and actually if you kind of take it to its logical conclusion well it's the people with the microphone <laughs> <laughs> or it's the people with the power or it's the people with the cash yeah. or, or the platform whatever and and that's not that's not the way to define to, to discern truth is it just the loudest voice yeah. but actually that that's what we see as soon as you get into a position where there's no there's no agreement of any kind of absolute truth it's like well
1: yeah what are you left with yeah.
2: <laughs> it's whoever's who's, shouting loudest yeah, basically
1: who, who's going to make that yeah truth. um this is a, a a question here that ashton's put on guys can you talk a little bit on if there's a sin that God doesn't forgive.
2: Well, there's a question. There is. There's only one that's talked about in the Bible, yeah. um, and and it's. I think it's misinterpreted all the time, mm-hmm. and I, and I may well do that myself. But it it's it's the sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. So claiming that the Holy Spirit is not God. That is the only sin in the New Testament that's that's, that's talked about as unforgivable. But the reason that is is because it's a complete denial of jesus ability to save us so in a sense it's like well if if you deny that then well you're never going to accept Mm. god's forgiveness Mm. so it's not so much god wouldn't forgive you if you asked it's like well you're never going to ask forgiveness if you're yeah if you're going completely against what the holy spirit does and says in in a place to ever you're not in a place to ask god forgiveness so yeah it's a tricky one to be honest no i mean a, a short answer no there's nothing that god cannot forgive and i mean yeah i don't know whether you wanted to share the audio no story, I, but yeah yeah
1: i would say that yeah the same thing yeah um I, I mentioned it um two weeks ago so i've just this been this week has been a bit of a roller coaster week for me so i on thursday i led the funeral of my grandma who died she was 101 um and yeah like i said i mentioned it two weeks ago that that when my mum told my granddad that she died, he basically, basically said, what do I need to do? What do I need to, to say? So he'd resisted for 98 years with grandma living a life mm. for God. And he'd, for whatever reason, um, he'd seen, like, like a lot of people that generation, he'd seen a lot of things in the war. A lot of things had mm. had gone on, um, but it it didn't matter that he'd waited no. that long.
2: No, absolutely.
1: God still accepted him, still forgave him. Just amazing that we have that answer. Yeah, in Jesus, isn't it? Yeah,
2: there's this fantastic story that Jesus tells, uh, this parable of this landowner, this vineyard owner, going out to the market first thing in the morning, as the sun's coming up, and um, and, I, and I've seen this actually in Tunisia, this is how people work, you go to the street corner and the, the tradespeople or the people who want to work are sat on the pavement waiting for someone to come along and hire them basically. So anyway, the landowner comes along, the sun's coming up, will you come and work in my vineyard for a denaris, You know, day's wage. And he gets a load of people and they go and start working in the vineyard as the sun's coming up. Goes back two hours later, There are some more people there, haven't got a job. He says, Come and work in my vineyard Uh, and keeps going back through the day. And then, right at the end of the day, with like an hour's work to go, he comes back and there's still some people there that sat there with no work to do. And he says, Will you come and work in my vineyard? So it gets to the end of the day and everyone's queuing up um, Mm -hmm. to be paid. And uh, the ones who've just worked for an hour are first in the queue. And the landowner comes to them and, and he gives them a denarius, a day's wage for their work, and the guys at the back are going, oh, this is great, I've been here since six o'clock, I've worked through the day, I've taken the, you know, I've taken the bulk of the labor through the, through the hot sun and everything else, I'm gonna get a bucket load here, and he gives the same amount of money to every single worker. And the guys at the back start complaining and say, but wait a minute, I've, I've done all the work. And he said, you agreed to work for me for a day's wage, and that's what I've given you what I do with my money is entirely my business. And uh, I remember telling that story to someone um, years and years ago and and their response was immediately what the crowd would have been. It's like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. And it's like, that is the amazing grace of God. It is not fair. If it was fair, your granddad wouldn't have a hope. No. It's like, I'm sorry.
1: I wouldn't have a hope. <laughs> that, that,
2: that is too late. And none of us would have a hope. But the fact that, you know, even mm. just in the in the twilight of life, mm. God would the forgiveness, the offer of forgiveness, is exactly the same. That's yeah. amazing.
1: And I think that's, I think that really sums up this biblical worldview because that's not a uh, current worldview. No, it's no, that's, that's not it? a cultural word. No, it's all. not. You want, no. you want the fair? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I liked um, Matt just said this right at the end. He said we can miss the bigger God. Mm. We can, if we live our life without basing it on His principles, His His laws, his, all that He's shown us, we can miss out. It, and I've I've written down here miracles. If we see God as the God of the Bible and what He's done, well, we can expect miracles, can't we? We can expect the supernatural mm. because it's there. Mm. We can see His. Creation, we get to partake so much more in all that He's got for us. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: I think expectation is really, really important. Actually, and this is something I was thinking of as as Matt was talking that what our world, our worldview gives us is an expectation of how things will be. In a sense, and and when I when I first understood about Jesus' offer of forgiveness and and grace. Um, my expectation changed my expectation of how people responded to me or or what life was going to be like changed because I had that perspective that actually God loved me, loved me enough to die for me, forgive my sins, whatever I had done. And that acceptance completely transformed my life because every situation I had a kind of an expectation almost of acceptance, which gave me a lot more confidence in, in career, in my studies, in my relationships, because there was a security of, this is what God says about me. And that's a really good example of, of, of what Matt said at the end of like, how do you develop this biblical worldview? Well, it's, it's understanding what the Bible says. And, 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 and those pictures in the Bible of the fact that I was a child of God and accepted um, totally changed the way then I live my life. Yeah. And it can be as simple as that. And again, you, you're not really aware of it. And then maybe years later, you go, well, what, what, why am I expecting people to, because sometimes people don't, <laughs> <laughs> why, why am I expecting people to give me a fair hearing or yeah. to, um, to to care about what I think? And it's like, well, because that's, that's what I know God does. Yeah. And so sometimes it, you, you, you don't get that and you realize, oh, that's a worldview that's grown up. I didn't always think like that. That have that changed at some point. And that's what that's what worldview is about. It it kind of it becomes so much part of our experience, our understanding, our perception, our interpretation of everything that we we don't notice it anymore. And and you know, that's a really great challenge from Matt to get to that point mm-hmm. with God's truth that it's so kind of just ingrained in us that that we're no longer really yeah. aware of it being a yeah, you know a thing it's just mm. part of us yeah
1: absolutely i think that'd be my my prayer this week that that us that you you guys listening people that listening on um sort of that a rerun of this that you get to know a bit more of god's view mm. for you mm. isn't it great that mm. he has he he knows about us and yeah. has a plan for yeah, us. yeah. um next week cuz we're running out of time here um sharon oh as ref- has Sharon <laughs> finished her talk <laughs> um so yes yeah, sharon will be talking next week taking this onto the next bit next bit of acts Fantastic. You left it on a cliffhanger
2: there, Matt. A good cliffhanger. What (laughs) happened? What happened
1: next? next? Tune in next week to find out. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much everyone for all the interaction. It's been brilliant. And if you've got any questions, please just email in. If you go on the Facebook group or the YouTube, um, there's a WhatsApp number. You can text them in. We'll respond within the week. We'd love to um to pray answer questions that's why that's why we do this because we want to let you know more about Jesus basically should, should we just pray hour? now yeah.
2: yeah 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 jesus i thank you for the offer of life the offer of fullness of life the offer of your grace and your forgiveness and i thank you that that really transforms everything and I pray, help us all to take a breath, not to dive in and defend our position, but just to try and listen for your voice, to know a little bit more of what you say about a situation. Lord, that's that's what walking in prayer is. It's it's asking those questions that that Matt has challenged us to. It's it's asking questions back of you and saying, Jesus, what is going on in this situation? Lord, would we all grow in that understanding and knowledge i pray and to know your peace in that journey lord amen
1: amen well guys have a great week and um, thanks matt
2: great talk lots to yeah lots to digest
1: we'll see you all next week
0: all right bye-bye Thank you so much for joining us here on Crowd Church. Now, if you are watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button, as well as that little tiny bell notification to get notified the next time we are live. And of course, if you are listening to the podcast, uh, the live stream podcast, make sure you also hit the follow button. Now by smashing the like button on YouTube or writing a review on your podcast platform. It helps us reach more people with the message that Jesus really does help us live a more meaningful and purposeful life. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to check out our website, www.crowd.church, where you can learn more about us as a church, more about the Christian faith, And also how to connect into our church community. It has been awesome to connect with you. And you are awesome. It's just a burden you have to bear. And hopefully we'll see you next time. That's it from us. God bless you. Bye for now.